Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that our guest today is Glenn G. Jones. Glenn is the author of Human Resources Changes the World, How and Why HR and HR Directors Should Step Up as Leaders in the 21st Century. He's also the president of GGJ Global Consulting Limited. He's worked with Bank of America, HSBC, Ecolab, Imperial Brands, AXA, XL, and Tesco in multidisciplinary strategic and operational roles around the world. Prior to this, he was employed by Eversheds, LLP, Accenture, Corb, and Eon, as well as numerous other companies. Glenn is passionate about making a difference and helping people evolve. So in the session today, we're going to talk about human resources and human resource executives and that they aren't typically thought of as being CEO ready, though they play a major role in setting policy and employee engagement, culture, and diversity. The common perception is that HR is not viewed as a profit center and in some cases not viewed as contributing to profits, but rather draining profits. These executives can be defensive about what they do and how hard they work given the perception they have. So Glenn will talk about how HR needs to gain the ability to look critically at the problems faced by their companies and come up with 21st century options that fit the world and the challenges we're facing. For this show, Innovative Leadership specifically, My goal is for each show, for you as listeners, to walk away with something that will either change your behavior or your mindset every week so that over a period of time, you will have innovated how you lead and how you think about leadership as your craft. So, Glenn, welcome. Hi. Thank you for joining us. And do you want to give us any more about your background before we jump in and get started? Yeah, I can, uh, I can give you a few more lines if that's all right, Maureen. So, so essentially, for me, I've been working in sort of human resources, people uh, as a function for over 30 years. Uh, I basically love what I do. And um, for the last seven and a half years, I've been a freelance HR consultant. And my current client uh, is Tesco, who I think are the fifth largest employer with around 380,000 employees. And I'm currently working on a a big program, including our decision. And later uh, next year, just to give you a feeling for how passionate I am about HR, I'm going to 
I did take a doctorate, a PhD in HR as well. So still learning, still evolving, and hopefully still challenging the norm. Thank you. That's really exciting. And uh, you and I both come out of Accenture, so have a, a systemic view of organizations. Yeah. But that's for a different conversation. Um, oh, yes. We, we can have another conversation <laughs> all about that another day. <laughs> so you're a global HR consultant and author of a new book on elevating HR professionals to the C-suite. What's one of the biggest obstacles for HR directors and VPs when they're vying for C-suite positions? Well, it's, it's a great question. And I think fundamentally the first goal is that, unfortunately, there aren't many people who actually do the transition to C-suite, uh, certainly at the CEO level. And if you consider the reasons why that is, there are probably many. Uh, the first one, could be that they actually don't consider them that's an option for you in resource professionals. And therefore, they don't know that that's even a possibility. But the second, I think, probably strongest reason is uh, influence. And I am going to generalize here, Maureen, because essentially we do have a couple of people who actually do make the jump from HR director uh, or chief human resource officer to that CEO level. But but on the whole, it, it's very minimal in so much the number of people who do do that. So influence, I think, is probably the biggest reason why in so much that actually when it comes down to big decisions and who makes what decisions in the boardroom, you tend to find there are three people normally in the mix. So there's the chief executive officer, the finance director or chief financial officer, and then there should be a third partner in the boardroom, and that should be your chief human resources officer. But unfortunately, I think the way that HR is perceived, they, they get left out. And invariably, what tends to happen nine times out of ten is the decisions that are made in the boardroom, which revolve around commerciality or the finances side of it. Um, I'll just pause there, if I may. Yeah, it, it's interesting because for so many companies, they're vying for best places to work and focusing on employee engagement. And in in this workforce, where where in most countries or in many countries where we have a shortage of talent. And we're working hard to maintain and, and, frankly, steal from others this talent. It's interesting that HR doesn't have the same perception of value that a CFO or a COO would have. Yeah, and, and it's not for one to try and I don't believe that the HR professionals are out there. It's just that when it comes down to the influential part of what's happening in the boardroom, and if you can say that, you're absolutely right. And McKinsey quoted over 10 years ago now, the war for talent. The war for talent now is even more prevalent now in 2019 than ever was and will be as companies around the world are vying for that extra bit of talent. So therefore, uh, they tend to go for the differentiated companies, places that have that little bit of an X factor when it comes to choosing where you're going to work next. I think, sadly, that that's not given a certain sort of uh, visibility and view and strategy in, in the boardroom that it deserves. And uh, for a reason, we need to see that coming through in, in the decisions that have been made. 
So in your book, you talk about how incorrect people decisions not only impact the bottom line, but the ability to attract and retain people. Can you give some examples of these incorrect people decisions? And I'm curious, are these are the challenges coming because HR isn't listened to or they're also, and I'm, it's always a both, right? But, uh, or are they not current on trends as well and they're making outdated recommendations? So this is a, this is a combination, Maureen, of a, a couple of factors. So one, there's essentially innovation in HR isn't coming through and it's regurgitating the same old, same old. And again, I am generalizing here. So, so the first factor that we have is around HR moving forward and really challenging the sort of things that they're doing. But there was a piece of research by uh, John Boudreau and Ed Lawler some time ago now, which globally looked at the amount of time that human resources was adding value. And I think it was something like an average of 28% where the remainder of the time spent in HR was really admin and policies, et cetera. So, so that kind of gives you a statistic around rather than creating new, basically regurgitating the same old, same old. So that's the first part. The second part is around influencing. It's about having the courage and a different mindset of actually coming to the board table and saying, you know what, guys and girls, we know what the people strategy needs to be to support the company strategy and listen to us because we're the experts and we have a commercial mind and we can make it work. And I think the, the delta there is having that ability to, to go into the boardroom, to be influential, to be listened to, and for CEOs and boards and shareholders to understand that actually HR has more to come to the table than just simple admin and policing of policies. Okay, so let me unpack that a little bit more then. So one thing I heard was not innovating, that they add value 28% of the time, and, and that tied to influence. So if I were to uh, be making recommendations to my colleagues in HR, is it that they don't have they're not ready to influence us and they don't have influence skills or they really um, aren't ready to offer business solutions to meet the business challenges because I see those as two different issues. Yeah, absolutely. Both both of those, Maureen, and I think it comes down to the fact of historically, and again generalizing, uh, human resource professionals have just done what they've done always done. So therefore, when it comes to looking at to attracting talent and to working with uh, different ways of doing stuff, and also using the big data now that a lot of organizations are collecting from these brand new human capital management systems, it's been able to actually go into the boardroom with not only the people lens of, hey, this is what we need to do, but also translating it into data translating it also into commercial uh, and being able to balance balance the, the people and the commercials together so you come out with a rich strategy that enables that company to move forward. Um, and, and that's, I think, what's generally missing there. Uh, all too often in the past, human resources have stood back uh, and really just waited for 
uh, other stuff to come through, which which has been innovated by different people around the world. But you, what you try to find, what you find is that actually they're safe in just regurgitating the same old, same old. You know, it's interesting. Years ago, I went to a client and talked about how we needed more employee engagement or something. And what he said was, it's a nice idea, but until I'm clear how it will impact the bottom line, go away. We're going to keep doing what we've done. We now have really good research from a lot of different sources that say that engaged people actually do drive profitability. So it seems like as an HR executive, I now have ammunition that will directly connect bottom line ROI and profitability with culture of engagement, vibrant environment, a lot of the initiatives, best place to work, well-being, a lot of the things that we talk about, but in the past seemed intuitively right, but not provable. Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on, Maureen, because where would you where would you like to go and work next if you were looking for a job in your chosen profession and you had two organizations, two companies, one that really had a focus on employee engagement and really um, was looking after its people, was understanding what they need, was had a fun and vibrant environment, or a not-so-good company that really didn't have a good name with its employees and really didn't look after the people that work for them, which one would you choose? Well, it seems obvious, and yet we both came out of Accenture, and the, the, at that point in my career, my focus was less on a fun environment and more on the accelerator of work like crazy, but set the foundation for the rest of my career. So I think... Um, the how we treat people and what's fun is different in different environments and different for different people. Yeah, you're right. And, and if you consider the first time in multi-generations, we've had five different generations at work, ranging from the baby boomers of the 60s all the way through to Gen Z and the youngsters that are coming out of college and, and universities and schools around the world. And there's a different mix now of people that are in work the first time, five generations are out there, and one size doesn't fit all anymore. Uh, you have to now be looking at, so, so what do people want? For instance, the Gen Zs, the youngsters that are coming out of schools and colleges, really are looking for a working environment that probably needs to get the money fast, uh, they want to get on, they have a different social way of working, Versus if you go the other spectrum, end of the spectrum, the, uh, the baby boomers, they're coming out maybe of, of their cycle of work. They're looking for structure and stability. And actually then they're looking to see what's going to happen next and, and where they go when they potentially retire. So, so a massive range of people in, in, in work at the moment. And it's a fascinating time for, for companies to know and understand their employee engagement strategies. And you know what? That's only going to get more complex, right? As people live to be potentially 100 or longer, the idea of retiring at 60 or even 70, for many people, it will be a thing of the past. And yet, at 70 years old, our bodies don't do the same thing they used to do at 20, at least mine, not anywhere close to 70, and I don't have that. Uh, the stamina after taking a red eye last week, I was very clear that was 
those days are not very productive anymore. <laughs> yeah, and of course, then you've got the other side of the coin that's coming through as well now. So everybody's talking about artificial, artificial intelligence and robots. And the other thing that's not clear at the moment and must be troubling the workforces around the world is what is the future of employees and how are they going to work alongside these robots and you know, who, from a point of view of the organization, is going to make them feel valued still? Uh, whilst we see all the Amazons and the people like that who are now open up shopless, uh, you know, employee, uh, non-employee stores uh, around the world, uh, and then you get warehouses, etc. So, so who is coming through? Whose job is it to to talk to the workforce to? to explain to them what are the jobs going to be like and how do we retrain and where does that new talent come from, you know? So this is a perfect time for a break because I'd love to delve into that conversation a lot more. So thinking about, for our listeners as we go on break, are you encountering robots yet? And if so, how are they impacting your workplace? This is Maureen and Glenn, and we are talking about recognizing the importance of HR and how they need to transform to move into the C-suite. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership. 
co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You're with Glenn Johns and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about Glenn's book, Human Resources Changes the World, How and Why HR and HR Directors Should Step Up as Leaders in the 21st Century. So, Glenn, before break, we were talking about the idea of robots, and I recently read something in the World Economic Forum at the end of 2018, they were saying in the next four years, so not somewhere out there after we all leave the workforce, but in the next, in our five-year window, half of workers will be impacted by robots. So if, if you were sitting in a coffee shop, half of the people in that coffee shop would be impacted, and by on average 30%. So it's a fairly significant bit of our work that will change for half of the workforce. So we're talking about shortage of workers, and then we're also at the same time talking about shifting the content of work. So what can you share about this? Okay, well, this is really fascinating because ultimately for me, actually, this has been going on for a while. If you consider the sort of roles and jobs that were around 10 years ago or even 20 years ago, um, the sort of jobs that we have today, like uh, web designers, like coders, like game designers, just didn't exist. So, so we have to put that into con- into into a sort of view that actually this is the world that we're li- uh, living in now. Technology is changing, uh, and no doubt, as you say, Maureen, in a few years' time, there will be. Uh, less roles that, that exist today because they would have been overtaken by perhaps mechanized robots or artificial intelligence or uh, robotics, etc. However, in saying that, also the those robots and those bits of technology will also need other additional roles which don't even exist today. So I think the the key to any employer right now is to look at, so what does the five to ten year plan look like for them? And they need to be sourcing the talent now that's going to really fill those jobs that don't exist today. Uh, I heard a good statistic, for instance. Uh, did you know, Maureen, that there's only 10,000 AI programmers in the world? Now, if you put that into context in the global scale and and you look at how we're evolving so fast, where are the other 10,000 AI programs going to come from? Um, they're going to have to come through pretty quickly because otherwise we won't keep up with, with the scope and the pace of, of technology. So in, in summary, the, the world is evolving fast. However, the roles that people are taking up today, maybe half of them will be gone in five to ten years' time. But equally, another half of new roles will be created that just don't exist today. And it's the companies that are smart and savvy and are looking down their talent pipeline for the future and working with the HR professionals to look at that will be the ones that will actually be in, in front of the wave. The ones that don't will be behind it. Perfect. So that's a beautiful segue into how HR can overcome some of the negative perceptions Um, that they are facing right now. So given the challenge slash opportunity we're seeing 
with HR, with sorry, AI and automation and robots, whatever language you want to put to that um, group of tools, HR's role both from a hiring, recruiting, uh, helping people develop, and also the policies and the ethics that go along with how do we treat humans who are working, whose work is being replaced by robots. I heard something recently in an interview, one of my interviews, where our our guest was saying that in some cases, robots are now paying union dues to overcome the objections from unions that the work is going away. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? But also, if you consider, Maureen, uh, actually, people like human touch and human interaction. Um, there was a great example here in London uh, not so long back where a store was opened and it had um, self-service tills, etc., and you had to program an app and everything else. But actually, there was another massive queue in the store where people weren't queuing up to, to get the apps. They were actually still going to the, to the tills that were actually had people on them. And the queue for that was out the door. So we need to balance that. And also companies need to realize that actually human interaction is really, really important. And, and if you look at some of the roles that we have today, for instance, around doctors and nurses, the chances are that doctors will be uh, maybe uh, automated before nurses will. Because nurses, if you think about them, really are the care and the empathy, et cetera, that goes along with it. Whilst you could argue that the, the, the technology around doctors, for instance, is already there and is analyzing and diagnostically looking at what's going wrong. But if I come back to your question, if I may, around negative perceptions, I think HR and chief people officers and people in the profession really have a, an amazing, amazing time at the moment to really step up to the plate and to convert the fixed mindset that they have today into a growth mindset, which will enable them to really passionately drive forward the people agenda and considering and taking on some of these big, big things that are coming through uh, and really sort of driving companies forward, breaking the stereotypes of policies and tissues and tea bags uh, and really sort of enabling companies to work hard with their people and understand what the future might look like. So it seems like as a strategic HR business partner, I would be looking at things like what is, if I have our strategic plan, I would have a strategic staffing plan as an example and a path forward, exactly. just like I would a marketing plan and an operating plan. Yeah. And then how are you going to find those people, Maureen, in the next five years? Where are they going to come from? How are you going to bring them in? How are you going to spot that sooner rather than later so you can grow that advantage over other companies that are there today? Um, and, and, you know, what does that then mean for your organizational workforce as that changes and morphs into something different, you know? So all of that needs to be thought out and planned, not just now. Uh, well, actually, now it needs to be planned and it needs to be thought out. Otherwise, as I say, you know, these companies are going to be caught on the hop. Well, when you talk about people programming artificial intelligence and machine learning tools, and if there are only 10,000 of those people, I assume that's light for what will be required in the next five years. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at the, uh, the progress that's being made, and if you look at how artificial intelligence is being used now in the workforce, 
it's already doing some very clever stuff. But, you know, if organizations around the world are going to jump on this bandwagon, they're going to need more than 10,000 people. So as a strategic HR partner, I don't know that that's the right term, HR executive, would I be looking at decisions like, I assume, make or buy, just like I would with a technology? Build or buy, grow or buy, in the case of exactly. people. Uh, exactly. And where, where are you going to go for it? You know, Are you going to look at graduates? Are you going to look at growing that internally? Are you going to look at shifting some of the, the work that your programmers might be doing today? Um, you know, there are people at home now young kids, for instance, who are in their bedrooms programming stuff um, and, and doing amazing uh, work that, that never gets seen. So it's a question of actually uh, looking at where is that pipeline going to come from and growing that pipeline and understanding what that looks like. And essentially, if that pipeline isn't available, then they're going to need to get skills from somewhere. So what does that look like? Well, you know, the other one that strikes me as you say that both how do we build and also what are the ethics around, say, a third of the work goes away for a significant portion of our workforce. How how do we as a society deal with that many people exiting the company? Because if they are not retrained and redeployed, there's one, the, the workforce shortage goes up, but there's also a huge social cost with people who are unemployed and potentially unemployable. Yeah, that, that's on the premise, of course, that we can't redeploy them. Uh, and I think that's the other thing that needs to be considered. So all too often, uh, unfortunately, you see the first uh, gambit that most companies do is to make, make people redundant without really looking at redeployment. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's many instances, Maureen, in the U.S. where you, know, you get a lot of organizations looking at the commercials and instantly, without thinking about anything else, actually making people redundant. And straight away, depending on how that redundancy is held, uh, that will either impact their brand, their PR, et cetera, et cetera. But, but it doesn't always have to be the first option to cut people from the workforce. If you, if you really have a good strategy around people and talent, you all should be looking for, is there an element of redeploying and retraining? So this brings us back then to the same question or same conversation about how HR professionals can contribute to the bottom line in a way that is unique to this time in history. Yeah, and absolutely, the, the if done well, there is absolutely a return on investment for the, the, the people agenda. Because if you consider it, a happy workforce is more product, uh, is better productive. Um, it, the attendance levels go down, so straight away there's a reduction in absence. Uh, people are more engaged. They're, they're talking to people outside of the work, so the brand is going up. And there's four or five just examples there where actually a focus on, on the people strategy actually truly does add value. And therefore, the commercial mindset that's around that uh, is infinitum, especially things like well-being now. Well-being is such a massive thing now, caring for mental health, uh, caring for people's financial welfare. Uh, you know, again, all of this is just a good employer 
uh, will invariably do much better than a bad one. Richard Branson, for instance, has this famous saying, look after your employees and they will look after your customers. Which, which seems intuitively obvious, right? Shouldn't, yeah, shouldn't be yeah, new yeah, news, yeah. but yeah, it's not. But, but it's surprising, hey? You know, it's surprising how many organizations haven't understood that. And then you have to ask yourself, Maureen, the question is why? Why is that? Is it that actually the CEO is just making these decisions in isolation, or is it that HR is not influential in the boardroom and therefore able to change that mindset? So how would you answer that question of why? Yeah, I, I, to be honest with you if, you, if you look at the number of people who make the jump from HR into CEO, the numbers are very, very small. But if you look at the number of people who make the jump from, say, uh, accountancy into a CEO, the numbers are very, very high. So how does an HR professional overcome that negative perception? Well, I, I think there's multiple levels to this, and the book talks to this, and, and I call them out at seven different levels, and that seems a very <laughs> that seems a lot, eh? Um, but invariably, I think one is around there are multiple uh, institutions in HR around the world, and I think they need to change from uh, the way that they're built today to actually be more innovative and pushing the HR North Star further. I think number two. It's about retraining in so much that if, the, if a HR professional doesn't have influence and skills and commerciality, then they should go and get it because ultimately uh, without the ability of actually being able to go into the boardroom and speaking the same sort of language as the CEO and the CFO, for instance, but putting a human slant on it, I think there's an element there uh, of a need. I think the third one is all around... Uh, changing the mindset of HR, flipping it from the 28% added value to more like 80% added value. Can you imagine the shift, Maureen, that that would make? And then there's other numerous things that can be done right now. For instance, I'm chair of the Board of Governors of my daughter's school. And what I really much enjoy is going into school and talking to the students there and saying, hey, have you ever heard of HR? And they look at you as if to say, what are you on about? <laughs> um, so even at school level, you know, people don't know about how value-add uh, human resources is in the corporate world. And I think lastly, another thing that can be done is to really profile the, the leaders, the, the shining lights within HR, and make them more visible as role models to the broader HR community. Um, you know, I very much use the fixed versus growth mindset. I, I think HR generally is in the fixed mindset. And I think to make a change uh, around the world and a board level, it's got to change to that growth mindset. Brilliant. Thank you. So we are ready to go on break now. As we come back, I would love to talk about the traits of CEOs and how HR people can align with those traits. And let's start with moving from fixed to growth mindset. You're with Maureen Metcalf and Glenn Jones, and we are talking about Glenn's recent book, Human Resources Changes the World, How and Why HR and HR Directors Should Step Up as Leaders in the 21st Century. (music) 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We all hear about information security, identity, and privacy threats. The more technology becomes part of our lives, with more data created to provide insights about our lives, the more concerned we need to be. That's why it's important to tune in to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Host Rebecca Harold is an internationally recognized expert in these areas. Rebecca and her guests will let you know how to keep your business and personal data safe. Listen live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome back to Innovating Leadership co-creating our future. Our guest today is Glenn Jones, and we're talking about his book, Human Resources Changes the World, How and Why HR and HR Directors Should Step Up as Leaders in the 21st Century. So, Glenn, as we went on break, you were talking about a list of traits for HR leaders. And in our final shift, we're talking about how how we can move HR people into the CEO suite or in, into the CEO role. And one of the things you, you focused on is helping HR, and, and I realize this is a generality, and we've both worked with fabulous HR people, so I don't want to overstep here. Yeah. Um, many HR people have a fixed mindset and need to change to a growth mindset. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the distinction between fixed and growth mindset and then how one makes that shift? Sure. So um, fixed versus growth mindset really comes from Carol Dweck's research about how the, how the mind works. 
And essentially, if you if you think of a good fixed uh, example, um, uh, someone who demonstrates fixed uh, mindset is someone who really just does the tried and tested, who doesn't experiment, who is happy with just going along with the flow uh, and pretty much using the old words, it's always been done that way. Versus growth, which obviously is the opposite, which is about trying new things, uh, really seeking feedback, understanding that challenge is good, and really looking at what, how the world can grow uh, and essentially moving away from, from the fixed sort of view of the world. And I think with, with the, the environment that we're in in the 21st century now, a fixed is okay at certain circumstances, but if someone's not in the growth mindset at least 80% of the time, then we're not going to drive innovation, we're not going to try anything new, and, and it pretty much is going to come back to human resource professionals in particular just doing what they've always done. Uh, there was a great example of this, actually. Uh, a few years ago, I was working for a client, and um, in the learning and the development stage, um, they, they were looking at performance management, and they actually said, well, let's not do performance management anymore. And they tried it for about six months, and then they pretty much gave up on it because it was t- too hard, yeah? Um, but it's that sort of thing it, that then falls into the fixed mindset in so much they, just, they tried it, and as soon as they came across a hurdle, they binned it. And actually, if they kept going, then they might have ended up with a really great product that actually no longer required performance management and focused on development. So it's that sort of thing, Maureen, that I'm looking at when I, when I talk about fixed versus growth mindset. So as we talk about the traits of the CEO of the future, you've talked about fixed and growth mindset. What are the other traits, whether I'm a HR professional or any other senior executive, what should I be thinking about if I want to move into the CEO role? Yeah, so for me, um, if I take it from a human resources perspective, I think it is very much going in uh, with the additional skills, so the the additional traits of the great CEOs, for instance, delivering, uh, having a commercial mindset. What I mean by that, uh, just to qualify it, is having the ability to think about the numbers, the data, the impact on the bottom line, but also summing up a strategy that involves people. I think what's really key for the CEOs of the future is they can't just focus on technology and the bottom line. They do need to have people in their organizations. They do need to consider the impact on the environment and the the corporate social responsibility around them. And therefore, I think it's all about having that empathy towards people, Phil, because I can imagine that certain companies in the world are going to run at uh, technology hard and then forget about the people, and then they're going to find that they've got a problem because they put all their eggs in one basket. So I think definitely from a point of view of the future, any new CEO has to be blending their approach not only just on technology, but on technology and people. It's almost, if you can imagine, uh, an organogram, Maureen, whereby today, traditionally, we just have people in it. In the future, we have people and we have technology in the organogram. And I've seen a great sort of uh, bit of research recently. I can't remember by who, but but it it trained that lovely. And I I held on to that as if to say, actually, that's a great example of how to reframe the environment that we're working in 
and putting technology in an organogram against people actually sums it up really, really well. So your term organogram, is that the org chart? What it I is indeed, yeah, sorry. Yep, you, you got it, you got it. <laughs> okay, so and this ties back to our interview on uh, robots and the idea that I may, figuratively, not that we're going to have robots that look like humans and sit in a chair next to me, but that part of my tasks will now be done by a bot, a computer-aided um, machine, and they actually now will have have boxes on the org chart is what you're saying. Yeah, it could be, but, but that's just a perception of, of the world that we live in. Rather than thinking of technology as a different, as, as a negative, actually putting it in and, and saying, actually, if you change the frame and you come at it with, actually, the world that we will work forward with will involve technology. So rather than actually working against it, we're working with it. And then you actually change and frame the all chart differently based on actually the reality is that's going to happen. So how, how, how does that work together? And if you change that picture, then you get a different mindset. Well, and someone like me loves the idea that some of the less interesting tasks will go away as soon as I figure out how to get a bot to do them. But that also <laughs> raises a right. I, I have more to do. And most of us, I think have more to do than we can realistically get done. But there's also that pushback of, will I make the shift? Will I be good enough? Will I be able to figure it out? Um, what if I'm one of those people whose tasks start to go away? It's it's still a little unnerving. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where HR comes into the mix again about sort of unsettling the nervousness that that's happening right now. Because there isn't, coming back to it, there isn't anybody really addressing that. And that's why I think HR have got a great opportunity right now of stepping into that and starting to frame the way forward and understanding, okay, so if people need retraining, then what does that look like? Or if there are different careers that need to come through now, then what do they look like and how do we grow them? You know, one of one of our guests recently talked about bots actually having training plans like our humans do. So, so they'll come in programmed to do a certain set of activities, and over time they too need to be, quote, retrained. So it is curious, I guess, that we are thinking about, again, the bots having the same training needs as our, our human workers. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the chatbots, for instance, in technology rely on iterations in, in their programming. So they're not self-learning. So it's only the artificial intelligence and the algorithms that really are self-learning, whereas most of the bots at the moment, anyway, still require that iterative reprogramming by, guess what, a human. Um, mm-hmm. And equally, if you, if, you, if you think of the Terminator film, even then, you know, people have still got to fix those machines and they're still going to need to be mechanics and they're still going to need to be programmers, et cetera, et cetera. So I know we're going back to the bot thing because it seems like one of the bigger disruptors in the human side. And, and to your point, it really blends both technology and for many companies, it's a clear ROI 
that if I acquire technology and it does as it's promised, that I can calculate the cost savings. And so if I'm thinking about my C-level executives and CEOs specifically, I need those people to be equipped to discuss the pros and cons of these kinds of trade-offs and extend out then how will this ripple through our culture? Will this make us a more or less attractive place to work, as an example? Exactly. But but I think you can't discount, and I think we should never discount the fact that uh, there will need to be this balancing. I, I don't see a world where... Human resource, uh, humans will will essentially be overtaken by robots. I, I think you know even today, you know, I've given you that example in London where there's that shop. You know, the amount of people that were queuing for the the, the server behind the till was was crazy. So I, I think you know that that will take several generations to work through. I think uh, if we ever get to that point, because I think humans love human interaction. And therefore, I think yeah, it, I, I don't envisage, and I could be wrong, um, but I don't envisage in the next 15, 10, 15, 20 years that you'll have just robots doing everything. There will still need to be that balance between human interaction and non-human re- interaction. I assume the same, that that's a long-term need. I think the only, I've actually been hung up by on a robot or hung up on by a robot. I got so frustrated trying to navigate my way through the some voice recognition system that I started yelling back at the thing and it clicked me off. <laughs> uh, so um, I, I can tell you that some of us behave worse with robots than we do humans. Uh, and the experience was bad because it was probably earlier on in the process and presumably we, we will get smarter. But there were a lot of times that I would choose a human over a robot because I think they can better answer my questions. Yeah, and and you can't discount that, can you? I I mean, no matter what, that's why I strongly feel that we'll never get to a world where it'll all be robots because essentially there's still that intimacy that that we like to have. We like to have that good customer service. Uh, even today, if you go into a restaurant and you have great customer services, chances are you'll go back there. Uh, vis-a-vis a, a, a restaurant, if you go back there and you have bad service, not only do you not go back there, but you also tell your friends as well. And then you have the ripple effect where the brand is, 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 mm-hmm. is spoiled because of that. So, Glenn, can you give me the two-minute... Things that CEOs or things HR professionals need to be building to make sure they are CEO ready, and then we're going to wrap up. Yeah, no, that's fine. So, so to be CEO ready, well, first and foremost, let let me put this out there. Uh, I don't think all HR professionals today will will want to become CEOs. Um, certainly, the the research that I've undertaken at the moment is actually for the majority of people that sit in HR today they don't see uh, becoming a CEO uh, as a factor that they want to go to. So that's number one, okay? Um, But two, if if they do want to, I think they've got to, uh, unfortunately, have the opportunity to to make that. So that requires CEOs and boards to to look at the blueprint that is there today, Maureen, because essentially the blueprint means that actually HR is discounted today. 
Um, and I think that's a massive trick that's been lost out by many boards around changing how their CEO or their C-suite is built to really sort of bring on board this human element. Uh, I, I term it as HR-ness uh, in my book. I bring the people back into workplaces instead of thinking of just the numbers. So there's that element too. I, I would also like to see... Uh, human resource professionals jump out of HR, if they could, into associated environments. So actually doing more of a, maybe a stint in, in line management, in, in something other than HR, which gives them the ability to learn stuff around sales or uh, manufacturing, except so that they have uh, an awareness, a, a curiosity of what it's like to work uh, elsewhere in the organization, but then taking that HRness with them uh, to CEO level. Uh, and then finally, uh, for them to, to really use the, their best skill, which is the people skills, is understanding people, uh, and to really sort of promote that at board level and, and use the data that they have at their fingertips now in these massive human capital management systems that unfortunately is not being given the strength and value that it deserves. Perfect. So we are going to wrap up. And I think that was a brilliant way to summarize what we need to be thinking about. How would people find you and your book? Okay. Well, um, <laughs> the, the book is now on sale on Amazon.com. So that's probably the best place to get it if you want a copy of the book. I and mean, it's there for Kindle and paperback. So that's there. If they want to contact me, I have my own website as well, uh, which is a long one, but I may be, uh, you can find it on the book title actually, so to look out for that. Or conversely, if you're on LinkedIn and you want to chat and you want to network, more than happy to network with you if you feel it's beneficial. I think I'm up to about 12,000 people on network, my LinkedIn network at the moment, um, but I'm more than happy to share and grow with that as we go forward. Glenn, thank you so much. This is really insightful. And for our listeners, I hope you heard something that you can put into action either to change your behavior or your mindset. We always love to hear from you. Either email me at info at innovateleader.com. We're on Facebook under Innovating Leadership and also on LinkedIn. Connect with me. Just send me a message that you are a listener to the radio show. We hope you are finding these shows beneficial and we look forward to you joining us, uh, joining us again soon. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.